I'm Davis Miller, host of the new podcast, The Tao of Muhammad Ali. I met Ali in 1988, and surprisingly, we became friends. His influence profoundly changed my perspective on the purpose of life itself. I'll tell you that story and also stories of others touched by the champ. Listen to The Tao of Muhammad Ali on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Julian Edelman from Games with Names, and we're on a search to find the greatest games of all time with the players and coaches who lived in them. Ever wonder what a locker room feels like at a halftime of a Super Bowl? Or what about the, the after parties? We're going to dive deep into the most iconic games with the most iconic people. New episodes dropping weekly. Listen to Games with Names on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Last season on the Choosing Sides F1 podcast, we established unequivocally that F1 is the pinnacle of motorsports. We did, but honestly, I was left with more questions than answers, Tony. I'm Tony Cameron Brown, a tech, culture, and F1 commentator. And I'm Michael Costa, comedian from The Daily Show. Join us for season two of Choosing Sides F1. Our F1 102, if you will. And get all of the answers. All of them? Listen to Choosing Sides F1 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, thanks for downloading the podcast. If you want to listen live, all you have to do is download the iHeartRadio app and search for Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Also, if you want to catch this show on video, be sure to check out Zumo TV, channel 719. That's where you can find SportsGrid's Fantasy Sports Network. Enjoy the show, and thanks so much for listening. Davis Maddock of DailyRoto.com is here to break down the World Series odds and why to get in on them now. What's happening, Davis? kind of just hanging out around the house and uh, got a lot of extra time to think about baseball, to research baseball, to dig into baseball. So some of these, uh, some of these odds, I have some pretty strong opinions about Greg. You know, I had no doubt Davis that you were going to have strong opinions about this because the fact is right now, there's nothing else for you to bet on. So why not get in on these world series odds right now? And we begin with a team that nobody really likes betting on. And it's the Minnesota twins. They're 16 to one to win it all. And you like them coming out of the American league. So I do like them coming out of the American League. I think the first point that I need to make is every team that I have listed in here is deeper than 16 to 1. And you might go, well, why would you why would you want to bet on teams that deep? And I, I think it's a pretty simple thesis, which is just uh, the baseball playoffs are more random than any other sports playoffs. The regular season is not random, you know, 162 games, but the playoffs are pretty random. So if I'm going to hold my money up for six months while waiting for all of this to play out, uh, I want to be I want to be getting long odds. So I do like the Twins. They have you know a super power heavy lineup, and they have what I think is much better than people would realize uh, for their for the pitching staff. You know, Kenta Maeda, Jose Barrios, Jake Odorizzi. Would they ever let him go longer than four innings? I'm you know I have never been able to quit Michael Pineda. So you know I think that this Twins team is actually pretty underrated by the market at sixteen to one. Well, it's the fact that they play in the same league as the Yankees, and they can never get by the Yankees. I'm not saying New York is the best team in baseball, but the Twins, historically, have never been able to do it. Maybe this year will be different with a shorter season, potentially, in play. The Minnesota Twins, Davis's favorite, at 16-1. to Speaking of New York, let's talk about a New York team, but not the one you're thinking about. It's the New York Mets, who are 21-1 to to win it all this year. The pitching, if they stay healthy, well, it's pretty good. With Noah Syndergaard and Marcus Stroman and, of course, Jacob deGrom at the top of that rotation. And if the hitting goes well, Michael Conforto gets healthy. Hey, 
Why not? The issue with the Mets is, uh, well, they are the Mets. You know, kind of, kind of like the New York Knicks, where it's just like, well, they're the Knicks, and they're never going to win anything, and they're never going to be good. I think that, uh, you know, if this was just generic baseball team X, and you got to look at all the players they had and look at all the projections for their players, they would actually be a little bit, uh, they'd be a little bit shorter in the odds than they are. But you know, as you mentioned, super talented pitching staff, and I think that people don't realize. You know, they have a lot of very good hitters as well. You know, Conferto is one of my favorites. Robinson Cano is still above average for his position. Signed Eduardo Nunez in free agency. Like, I, I think that uh, this is a better roster than most people would imagine them to have. I agree. The Mets roster is better, but can things fall their way? They never seem to. They can't get out of their own way. The injuries come at the wrong time. The Mets are a team that things just don't seem to go right for. But at 21-1, to it may make sense to take a shot. Also at 21-1, to he's a team where things do normally go better for, and that's the Tampa Bay Rays. Maybe it's just a better run organization. Maybe it's just a smarter run organization. But things normally fall into place, the Tampa Bay Rays. If they do this year, you get up at 21-1, that's a nice payday. Very nice payday. I really like the Tampa Bay Rays. This is actually my favorite value bet of all of them. Their roster contains 11 hitters projected for above a league average weighted on base. And that doesn't even include some of their prospects who are expected to have an impact this year, like Wander Franco, and then some of their more competent uh, platoon bats. And the Rays are, you know, one of the best teams in baseball at setting up their hitters for success in terms of the platoon. They do things right generally with the opener. They just they just do things the way that analytics suggest baseball should be played. When you combine that with Blake Snell, with Tyler Glass now, you know, with these really talented players, you're just going to get you know, better than average results. So I, I think that the Rays, you know, with all these Yankees injuries and how bad the Red Sox roster is shaping up to be, I really I really think that the Rays are the best bet you can make right now in the futures market. Yeah, the Rays are a really good baseball team, and things fall into place, like I mentioned for you before. I don't even think it's a secret anymore that the Rays are not going to come out of nowhere. They're going to be really good. And if things fall into place for them in October, or maybe November, they're a really good bet. 21-1. I'll have to like hear about Tampa Bay. Up next, the team that our own Frank Stample believes is the worst in the NL Central. It's the St. Louis Cardinals. 23-1. to Frank just doesn't think they're good. Do you? Well, I don't think that they are a super good team, no. Like, I, I, do, not think, I do not think that the St. Louis Cardinals are this amazingly talented team. But just look at the level of competency that they have at all of these positions. So, super utility guy, Tommy Edmond. Colton Wong, Goldschmidt, DeYoung, Molina. You have to really get down to their seven, eight, nine guys before you start to find guys who are, you know, not above average hitters at their position. The The pitching rotation is just always going to be solid. You know, they have uh, Jack Flaherty, Miles Mikolas, a lot of guys who are really good at generating ground balls. And they have a stadium that works really well to the style of baseball that they play. So I, I do think, I do think the Cardinals are, uh, certainly, you know, they're not like a lock to win the division or to win the World Series, but I do think they are decent value at 23 to 1. We'll see if the pieces can come together for St. Louis. We'll see if Jack Flaherty was the guy from the second half or the first half last year. Paul Goldschmidt could step back up uh, and they find the ability to replace Marcel Ozuna. A lot of question marks with St. Louis, but the 23 to 1 will be worth taking a shot on. Let's go a little bit deeper here, Davis, and let's get to the Oakland Athletics, who are 25-1. to And this is a surprising number because the A's are good, right? Their hitting is good. They made the playoffs last yeah. year. And I know you wonder about the pitching, but then you have a Jesus Lazardo. If A.J. Puck gets healthy, you have an A.J. Puck. And you're like, hey, 
I can see this one working out. 25 to 1 is a really good number here for the A's. Yeah, I mean, the knock you would have on the A's is you would say, well, I just, you know, I just do not see it with the pitching because that was their problem. That's, I mean, that's been their problem for, you know, some time is, is their pitching has just not been able to match their hitting. And that's likely, well, so maybe in a median outcome, that's going to be a problem this year. You know, if we just expect some of the young guys to not get it together or some of the guys who are not healthy to never fully recover, that could be a problem. But if the pitching maybe hits at like a 60th percentile outcome, and then you combine that with their lineup against right-handed pitching, which is terrifying, and then their lineup is even more terrifying against left-handed pitching. I mean, they can go, they can really go against left-handed pitching. They can go nine deep with guys who hit, you know, better than 330 weighted on base average against left-handed pitching. So I, I, I think that the A's are, again, you know, actually similar to the Rays. I think they're just a very good American League value. Yeah, they are. They're they're a perfect American League value, a team that you don't really see coming. It's boring. They're not sexy. They play out west where nobody watches anyway in a stadium that's always empty. The A's, 25-1, to 1, it's really good value. Just like the Milwaukee Brewers are really good value here. It's a team that you know always going to put money in around the All-Star rate to make their team better. They're still young. They still have arguably the best player in baseball in Christian Yelich. But the question is their pitching staff. And... They basically say, we don't care about pitching. We have a dominant bullpen led by Josh Hader. We have a ton of hitting, although they do have to replace Mike Moustakis. And it's a team that, if they could just hit their way to the World Series, they would. They would. And two years ago, they were a game away from doing just that. You're getting really good value here on the Milwaukee Brewers this year, Davis. And you're getting them at 35-1. to 1. Another bet worth taking to me. Yeah, I, I really like this one, too. Kind of just similar to what you said, which is, I mean, the hitting in this lineup is crazy. They have some of the best hitters at their positions in baseball. And, you know, I think that something that you need to be cognizant of is how teams are going to handle the trade deadline and how there are so many teams that will end up selling, you know, league average or slightly worse than league average pitchers for, you know, very, very little, you know, just super cheap costs. And, you know, the Brewers do play in the NL, so there's certainly a chance that they are able to get some AL pitchers and they come over and they look a lot better pitching in the NL because pitching in the NL is just, well, it's just a little bit easier. You know, we know historically that you get between about half a run to, uh, you know, 0.3 of a run just from transitioning uh, from the AL to the NL. So I think that the, if they buy, you know, even one average starting pitcher and the bullpen experiment works how they think it will, the Brewers, I mean, they could pretty easily win this division. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, I don't really like the Cardinals. I'm actually surprised the Cardinals have better odds to win the World Series than the Brewers, which makes me really love this Brewers bet. It's just too much, uh, too many odds, too high. I, 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 it's a lot, a lot of good stuff here with Milwaukee. So get in this one before it goes up. Tom Vecchio of FanDuel, who's here to break down some NHL futures for us. What's up, Tom? Yeah, with the leagues on pause, we've got to be looking forward to get some value, uh, you know, some long-term championship bets here. Absolutely. So let's begin in the Eastern Conference where the Boston Bruins reside. They are uh, your favorite bet on the board. Why is that? Well, the Bruins really have it all. I mean, we look back to last season. They were, of course, in the Stanley Cup final. They lost. But overall, this team really hasn't changed too much. And and frankly, we have to be looking at this you know, time off of who's this going to benefit the most. And I think it's going to be benefiting the Bruins. And then another team will get to... In a minute, but the Bruins are on the older side of teams. You know, Chara is 42, Bergeron is 34, Marshawn is 31, Rask is 33. Like, they have older players. So this time off will benefit them. And really, when it comes down to it, they are simply one of the best. They are the best team in the league. Let's just put it what it is. They have 100 points. They are sitting, you know, what would be the President's Trophy right now, which is the most points in the league come the end of the season. 
They have it all. They have great defense. They have great offense. They have enough depth. They can play big. They can play fast. And they had a few players, Tory Krug and Brandon Carlo, who were day-to-day uh, before the season was paused. But now they're going to come back even healthier. The older guys are going to be rested. There's no reason not to like them this season. Despite the Bruins' age, they also have that experience, obviously, having been there before. They're in a good spot, of course, performing. That's why they're your favorite. Plus 600 is what you can get them right now over at the FanDuel Sportsbook. So why things are paused, maybe make a little bet. Another favorite that you like at plus 700, it's the Tampa Bay Lightning, a team that's had a lot of regular season success but haven't really been able to get over the hump. Is this year going to be different? Haven't been able to get over the hump, like you said. Hopefully this year is different for Tampa fans. Obviously last year was a complete disaster for them. This is also a team that will benefit with the layoff. On March 3rd, they announced that Steven, Sam- Steven Stamkos, one of their best players, was going to be out six to eight weeks with a core uh, surgery, core muscle surgery. Uh, so that would put him around the middle of May or so coming back, which would be sometime in the second round. But that's obviously not the case. So they're going to be getting back a superstar player. And really, overall, they have a super, super deep team. And at the trade deadline, they made a lot of, like, sneaky good moves, uh, getting specifically Blake Coleman, which I think is a great pickup. And then you look deeper down their lineup. Like, Davis player Anthony Sorelli, who's a center now, you know, thrust up to onto the first forward line. But he's phenomenally defensively. He plays on the penalty kill. Not a lot of, you know, a lot of people know about him. Everyone's going to be looking to Nikita Kucherov and Stamkos and Victor Hedman. And, of course, uh, Venzina candidate uh, Andre Vasilevsky and Net. They have a ton of star players. But the depth is what really sets them apart from other teams. So plus 700 for a team that can really put up any amount of goals you possibly want. They can get it done. They can get it done. Like you said, last year was a disaster for them. We're hoping this year they can turn it around. You need all the pieces that are in place. Hopefully they put it together in a timely manner and the right time whenever those NHL playoffs do begin. Up next for us, our last favorite, if you will, at plus 850, it's the Colorado Avalanche that have rebuilt and rebuilt well, putting them in position this year to be a true Stanley Cup contender. Why do you like the Avalanche? Uh, So as I mentioned at the top of the Bruins, this is probably the team in the entire league that's going to benefit most from whatever amount of time this layoff happens to be. They have their star center, Nathan McKinnon, who's only going to be sidelined for one to two weeks, but they are still without Miko Rantanen, uh, Nazem Kadri, Andre Burakovsky. Those are four forwards among their top six, along with their starting goaltender out, Philip Grubauer. So they have four of their best six forwards, four of their best six offensive options that were out or are out right now. They come back healthier. You know, they do have a a capable backup in Pavel Francois Annette, who's been playing actually very well. But, you know, sitting uh, with one game in hand, I don't know what they're going to be doing with the games when it comes to uh, resuming the season, but one game in hand, and they are two points out of the first place in the Western Conference. So they are moving along despite these injuries. And when they come back, they will be even healthier. There's no reason not to like a team that has all of the offense you can possibly want. When it comes to the goaltending, that's where things get a little bit dicey. But, man, load up on these guys that are coming back healthy and will be in a great spot to win. Absolutely. This long layoff is really going to help the Colorado Avalanche and put them in a position to be successful in the Stanley Cup playoffs. you got to like them uh, at this value here. So jump on it now before everybody kind of sees how healthy this team is going to get. The Avalanche, a nice bet at this value. Speaking of value, let's go to some of these value plays uh, that – are long shots, but, well, they can do it. As we know, anything can happen in the NHL playoffs. We begin with the Philadelphia Flyers at plus 1,300 here on the season. Why do you think the Flyers should make some noise? So 1,300, I think, is a really great price for the Flyers right now. And, you know, looking at this team overall, they kind of remind me of last year's St. Louis Blues team, where 
you know, they have their one star player. The Blues had Tarasenko. The Flyers have Clojureau. Uh, and then it's kind of a bunch of players that are just good. And they all play their role really well. And you look at this team and say, you don't want to go against them in a seven-game series. They can play physical. They have a good young goalie in Carter Hart. They have enough defense. They have good coaching, Elaine Vignon, who took the Rangers to the Stanley Cup final. He has the coaching experience in the playoffs. But this team hasn't been able to get over the hump when it comes to the playoffs. They have Voracek. They have Sean Couturier. All these guys that have been to the first round and out, been to the first round and out. Combined with how well they've been playing, combined with the depth, with the new coach, with the Lane Vignon first year with the Flyers, the Flyers, I think that they're bringing all the pieces together. And listen, this is a team, if we want to go back to the old Broad Street Flyers, that can play really physical, and you do not want to go against them every other night for a seven-game series time and time again. So Flyers at plus 1,300, you got to like them this year. Like you said, a physically demanding team that's going to beat you up over a seven-game series, much like the Blues uh, from a year ago. We have seen the Blackhawks also have a lot of success uh, with this type of play. The Bruins, too. A good spot for the Philadelphia Flyers. Good value here, plus 1,300 as well. I don't want to face the bruising Flyers this year. Up next for us, and also at plus 1,300, it's the Pittsburgh Penguins, who always do seem to get hot at the right time, and you're like, all right, at plus 1,300, I feel like I need to sprinkle the Penguins, right? I mean, yeah, so (laughs) much experience when it comes to the playoffs, Crosby and Malkin uh, seemingly doing it every single year, but this is really a team that has dealt with it all this year. Crosby was hurt. Malkin was hurt. Uh, Hornquist was hurt. Chris Letang was hurt. Some of their depth players, uh, Nick Bukestad was hurt. Uh, But most importantly, depending on how long this layoff lasts, the interesting note is when it comes to Jake Gensel, who was having a phenomenal year for the Penguins, 43 points in 39 games. He got hurt on December 30th of last year. They said his shoulder injury would be out four to six months. We are approaching April, and depending on how long this layoff lasts, Jake Gensel, a legitimate top six forward, top line, top power play, whatever you want to call it, could be coming back in slot. Now, this is purely speculation, but a team that has the experience combined with the speed and skill that Gensel brings, you want some action on this team. You don't want to be fading Crosby and Malkin, who are getting healthier, who are older in age, both well over 30, who can use this time off. So plus 1,300, you know, we have two teams from the Keystone State here. I like Philly, and I like the Pittsburgh Penguins. In the Eastern Conference, the Philadelphia Flyers, the Pittsburgh Penguins both have some experience. And the Penguins, with those stars like Sidney Crosby, always put them in a position to be successful. We'll see if this year they get the magic back. This layoff may help them as well. One final value team to get to, Tom, which brings us to the Edmonton Oilers. That plus 2,000. Connor McDavid, can he get healthy and win a cup? Yeah, the Oilers are a team I think myself and a lot of people want to see make a run. Leon Dreisaitl leading the league with 110 points. McDavid right behind him at 97, two of the most electric players in the league. Uh, They have a good amount of depth. It comes to Ryan Nugent-Hopkins, Darnell Nurse, uh, Kyler Yamamoto. They picked up Tyler Ennis. But after that, that's where things get questionable. That's why we see them sitting at plus 2,000. Their goaltending with Koskinen and Mike Smith is really just a coin flip. They're both average goaltenders. Like, you would look at this list and you'd say, okay, Tuka Rask from the Bruins, he could win you a game by himself in the playoffs. Vasilevsky with the Lightning, he can win you a game by himself. When it comes to the Oilers, they really don't have that, and they're kind of relying on McDavid and uh, Drysaddle to get them there, but their division is weak, and they can certainly get a favorable seat combined with the fact that McDavid gets a little bit healthier after missing some time 
And at plus 2,000, you really are just banking on the two best players in the league to carry this team throughout the playoffs. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Last season on the Choosing Sides F1 podcast, we established unequivocally that F1 is the pinnacle of motorsports. Lily Herman, my co-host in season one, helped me choose a team, a driver, and then... Well, we sent you on your jolly way. Yeah. I'm Tony Cameron Brown, a tech, culture, and F1 commentator. I'm Michael Costa, comedian, Daily Show correspondent. And we're back with season two because, as it turns out, F1's newest fan is still a little... Dazed and confused. Join us for season two of Choosing Sides F1 as we dive deeper into the rabbit hole of the pinnacle of motorsports. Who makes money here? What's CFD? How do you manage a tire? You, get back in there. What are the rumors? What's the gossip? But you also know that someone's listening to your radio. Uh, I'm going to pull up a picture of a tea cozy. I, I want to see what this thing looks like. Are you going to be doing that accent this whole pod? Listen to season two of Choosing Sides F1 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. You find it. I'm Davis Miller, host of the new podcast, The Tao of Muhammad Ali. I met Ali back in 1988, and to my great surprise, we became friends. His influence profoundly changed my perspective on family, spirituality, and on the purpose of life itself. I'll tell you that story and also stories of others touched by the champ, including people such as Reverend Al Sharpton, and James Buster Douglas. We'll even hear from Muhammad's daughter, Rashida. Well, my dad was, he was Peter Pan. Like he never really grew up. He was very mature when it came down to social issues. He was very in tune. He felt a responsibility to be able to share his connection to millions of people who were in need. In each of these stories, we share lessons, lessons that have meant a great deal to me and that I hope will be meaningful to you. Listen to The Tao of Muhammad Ali on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Julian Edelman from Games With Names, and we're on a search to find the greatest games of all time. I'm talking Hall of Famers, MVPs, gold medalists. I absolutely hate the Colts, bro. This game, I swear, led to the deflate gate. Hey, guys, this ball's a little flat. <laughs> Ever wonder what a locker room feels like at a halftime of a Super Bowl? Julian walking around. I'm pretty sure he had his shirt off for reasons I'm not sure. He was saying, gotta believe. Oh, you gotta believe. From 18-1 with Eli. You call Bill just a cheater? Is that what you're I'm saying right saying now? He's, he's looking for an advantage. The 2004 ALCS with big copy. The Red Sox in 2004 bounced back after the 3-0 in a winner chicken dinner. Homie. The immaculate reception with Terry Bradshaw. Fired the ball. I hear the roar of the crowd. I never thought he caught the ball, but he did. We're going to dive deep into the most iconic games with the most iconic people. New episodes dropping weekly. Listen to Games with Names on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, welcome into another FanDuel Hurry Up. I'm Joe Ranieri, joined alongside Jim Sonos of Number Fire. We had an opportunity yesterday to talk about some of the winners so far in the NFL free agency period. Today, we're going to tackle 
Some of the losers. And Jim, the NFL is open for business, and thank goodness for that. But the deals, they just keep coming in hard. They keep coming in fast. Yeah, it really has. And it's been interesting to follow everything. It's kind of hard to keep up because there's just so much happening right now. So a lot of winners, a lot of losers. We could have done a, a full another day, I think, of free agency winners based on the stuff that happened yesterday. But still, uh, uh, some guys who are definitely impacted in a, in a negative way that we'll get to for today. All right, Jim, let's start with the Minnesota Vikings and their quarterback, Kurt Cousins, who just signed a two-year extension with the club. What are your thoughts uh, about Kurt Cousins and the Minnesota Vikings and that extension? I'm sure Kurt Cousins feels good about it. Yeah, I think the extension is fine. My issue is that they traded Stephon Diggs because from a fantasy perspective, the big reason Kirk Cousins was relevant in fantasy was because he was efficient. He was in a really good system, in a really good situation up in Minnesota. He doesn't run a whole lot. He doesn't throw a ton. That's what you need is to be efficient in fantasy if you're not going to run or have a lot of volume. And now the expected efficiency for Kirk Cousins should go down now that Stephon Diggs is elsewhere. The Vikings do have two first-round picks, 22 and 25, thanks to that trade via the Buffalo Bills. But that's not going to replace Stephon Diggs. Stephon Diggs is one of the best route runners in all of the NFL, and he is a true difference maker on the field. And now it's Adam Thielen and then a massive cliff to the rest of the wide receivers on this Vikings team. There is still plenty of time for them to address that, but the free agency market is drying up. As mentioned, you know, you can you can plug in a rookie, but it's hard to expect a rookie to replace a production lost by Stephon Dick. So I'm a bit worried here about Kirk Cousins from a fantasy perspective. I think the extension was fine by the Vikings, but it's kind of confusing to extend Cousins and then dish away one of his best assets in Stephon Diggs. I think that Adam Thielen was a winner, as we discussed yesterday, but this does not help Kirk Cousins. He is a an efficiency-dependent quarterback in fantasy football, and his efficiency should go down with no, with no Stephon Diggs. So I think if we're talking about one-quarterback leagues, it's going to be pretty hard for me to get jazzed about Kirk Cousins for 2020. Well, I got a couple of words there for Minnesota Viking fans, and it's, uh, it's Dalvin Cook, who is going to be a key piece to this offense and to this team moving forward. As Dalvin Cook will go, this team will go. So it'll be very interesting to see his health this year, as well as the upcoming draft for the Minnesota Vikings. All right, let's move on to the Houston Texans and their quarterback. How about the Sean Watson? I'm not sure there is a maybe a more depressed quarterback in the league right now as he watched DeAndre Hopkins walk out the door, going to be wearing a new uniform next year. Where do you stand right now on Deshaun Watson and the Houston Texans heading into this year? Yeah, at least with the Vikings, they have two first-round picks to try to fill that hole. The Houston Texans do not have a first-round pick because they traded that away to get Laramie Tunsil over the offseason. So the task of replacing DeAndre Hopkins is already immensely difficult, and it gets a whole lot worse when you don't have a first-round pick to do so. Now, they do have two seconds, thanks to this trade, but asking a second-round rookie to replace DeAndre Hopkins is a super major task. That's going to be a tough, uh, a tough order for them there. Now, the good thing that Deshaun Watson has that Kirk Cousins does not have is that he does, does have a couple of really talented wide receivers there with Will Fuller and with Kenny Stills. Those two guys are both really good. We also know that they are injury risks, and that is going to be a perpetual concern for this Texans team. Deshaun Watson is a really good quarterback. He does add value as a rusher, which is great for fantasy as well. 
But you have to question if that efficiency will go down with DeAndre Hopkins being gone. Hopkins has been a staple in the lineup ever since Deshaun Watson joined this team. He does not miss games. We don't know what to expect out of Deshaun Watson with no DeAndre Hopkins. But in the past, when he, when he's lost Will Fuller, we've seen the efficiency go down for Deshaun Watson. And I would expect the same to happen here. Now, this is not to say that Deshaun Watson is, is not fantasy relevant. His outlook is still much better than that of a lot of quarterbacks in the league. But it definitely does take him down a couple of pegs. And with Deshaun Watson going pretty high in fantasy drafts, that's going to be a harder pill to swallow now than it was previously. In general, we do want to wait on quarterback in fantasy football. And I think that if you're going to take that plunge early, I think that Deshaun Watson it should go down our list now. We should be less willing to make that, le make that leap to get him than we would have been previously. So I still like Deshaun Watson. I think he is a tremendous football player. But from a fantasy perspective and where he's currently going from a cost perspective— it's a lot easier to get there now that he does not have one of the league's top wide receivers. Well, let's face it, right? The running game is going to be extremely important this year for the Houston Texans. Uh, it'll be, can they get those early returns on David Johnson? Uh, that is going to speak volumes, I think, as to the kind of year uh, the Houston Texans are going to have. All right, so let's talk about Julian Edelman now and the New England Patriots, who... Let's face it, he's only known one quarterback, uh, and that quarterback is no longer there. Tom Brady on his way to the Tampa Bay Bucks, and Julian Edelman has got to be sitting there going, uh, now what? And it's a great question, Jim. Now what with the New England Patriots and Julian Edelman? I think the one good thing for Edelman is that there are still a lot of viable quarterbacks out there who could fill this void. So it's not as if I wouldn't expect Jared Siddham to start. If Jared Siddham did start for the Patriots, Julian Edelman would be completely irrelevant for fantasy, but we should see some viable replacement come in there at some point. The problem is that like Tom Brady himself wasn't that bad last year. I think the issue with Brady was that he had a really bad supporting cast, so expecting good efficiency out of him was a pretty tall ask. And so you go from Tom Brady, who was relatively good and decently efficient, to now whatever the Patriots are going to have, it is going to be a quarterback downgrade for Edelman. As you mentioned, too, he's built up this chemistry with Tom Brady for such a long time. Now that's gone. That chemistry is gone. He will have a new quarterback for the first time in his entire career. That is definitely a bad thing as well. The third thing that's a negative for Edelman is that they're going to improve the talent around him. You have to assume that even with Tom Brady being gone, unless the Patriots go full tank, which their moves thus far indicate that's not the plan, you'd have to assume that it's going to be an improved supporting cast around Edelman this year. If that takes away targets from Edelman, that takes away his one remaining really positive strength from a fantasy perspective was all that fantasy perspective was all that volume. Now, that volume should go down, the efficiency should go down, the chemistry of the quarterback should go down. There are a lot of negatives here for Edelman. Now, if they were to sign or trade for a relevant quarterback, maybe this isn't as bad as it is as it seems at first glance, but as of right now, I'm going to downgrade Edelman quite a bit. He is still viable for fantasy because I would still expect him to get a good number of targets, but we have to expect a lot less than what we've seen from Edelman over the past couple of years. Two words to keep an eye on in New England. Cam Newton. It would not be the first time that Bill Belichick and company uh, went ahead, got themselves a aging veteran and gave them new life would not surprise me at all. But it is going to be very interesting to watch what Bill Belichick and Josh McDaniel decide to do with that quarterback position, especially in the draft next month.
So let's talk about one of the game's truly greats, both on and off the field. Larry Fitzgerald, the Arizona Cardinals. You'd be hard-pressed to find anybody say a bad thing about Larry Fitzgerald. The way he conducts his business is amazing. And now all of a sudden, Kyla Murray's got DeAndre Hopkins, and he still has Larry Fitzgerald. Larry Fitzgerald should be really happy about this move, should he not? I'm sure he's excited if you're talking about winning games because DeAndre Hopkins will help this Cardinals team win football games. He'll help Kyler Murray get better, but he's not going to help Larry Fitzgerald get volume. And that's what we're looking at here in fantasy football is we want volume and Fitz is not going to get it with DeAndre Hopkins being in town. I think that Christian Kirk is still a pretty viable wide receiver in fantasy, even with Hopkins being there because he's young, he's very good. He had a, a rapport with Kyler Murray last year. So I think Kirk is still okay, and he may see softer coverage as well. But as far as Larry Fitzgerald goes, he is hyper-volume dependent because he's not getting downfield, he's not making these huge catches, not expecting huge touchdown totals out of him. So kind of like Edelman, what you need for Fitzgerald is a lot of targets. When you bring in a guy like like uh, DeAndre Hopkins, he's going to command a heavy target share within this offense. And that's going to take away some targets, and probably a lot of targets, from Larry Fitzgerald. They also could address this position in the draft because they do still have that first-round first pick as well. So we've already seen Fitzgerald get downgraded as of right now with Hopkins being in town. But if they were to add more via the draft, which they very well could, given how good this draft class is, he could become completely irrelevant. So he had 20% of the targets last year with Christian Kirk being healthy. I would not expect that number to be anywhere near that for this year. Fitzgerald is a tremendous football player. He is a Hall of Famer for sure. But from a fantasy perspective for 2020, I don't see it, given all, all the volume he is losing with DeAndre Hopkins now in town. So let's be realistic, though. That is one heck of a security blanket to have if I'm Kyla Murray, knowing that I get to dump it off and I get to find Larry Fitzgerald uh, when all things uh, aren't going my way. So uh, to your point, though, probably great news for the team, but maybe the addition of DeAndre Hopkins, not great news for Larry Fitzgerald for fantasy purposes. I want to talk about recency bias, too, if I can, for a second, because it's a liability in the sports betting world. And I do think it's also a liability in the fantasy world, because I don't know anybody who fans are going to look at and just put them up on a pedestal like Raheem Mostert of the 49ers, who had an amazing run at the end of the season, right through the Super Bowl there. So I know fans are going to get into this year and they're going to be looking at Raheem Mostert and saying, boy, oh boy, this guy's going to be even better than he was last year. Is there uh, some liability in thinking that way about Raheem Mostert moving into this year? Yeah, I think we knew going into this year that Raheem Mostert was not going to be some bell cow back for the 49ers because they've always used this running back rotation, whether it be Tevin Coleman, Matt Breida, Mostert all mixing in. So I think our expectations were pretty realistic in keeping them in check for Mostert. But they kind of got the worst case scenario yesterday based on the news that went down. The first thing was that Matt Breida, they put a second round tender on Matt Breida. I don't think anyone's giving up a second round pick to get Matt Breida on their team. So he should be back with them next year. Then 
they restructured the con- contract of Jarek McKinnon. We've kind of forgotten mm. about Jarek McKinnon because he's missed the past two years. But by restructuring that contract, Jarek McKinnon basically ensures he will be with that team in 2020. So what we're seeing right now for the 49ers is they have four viable running backs between Rocky Mostert, Tevin Coleman, Matt Breida, and Jarek McKinnon. That could always change because McKinnon, we've seen him deal with injuries. Matt Breida always banged up. Tevin Coleman dealt with injuries last year, too. But there are a lot of bodies here, and this is a team that likes to utilize all of those bodies. It's also not as if Raheem Mostert is super young. This is going to be his age 28 season, so he's a little bit up there in age. doesn't have a ton of wear on those tires by any mean, but still, he's not a spring chicken. So there are four guys here on the San Francisco backfield. We know that they like to use a committee, and Mostert is not exactly the youngest guy in the world. That all adds up to keep expectations in check. So I think that as a community, the fantasy football world has done a good job of realizing the limitations around Raheem Mostert so far. But given the return of McKinnon and that Breda will be there as well, I think this kind of wound up being a worst case scenario for, for Raheem Mostert. So if you were optimistic about him heading into 2020, you may want to lower those expectations because it's probably going to be a headache just as it was in 2019. Truth is, I'm not sure it's that great a thing to be a running back on the San Francisco 49ers with Kyle Shanahan calling the plays. I don't know that that's uh, ever going to change there. It does seem like three and four back stables are going to be the norm in San Francisco for quite a while. And finally, Jim, let's talk about another great NFC running back who has been absolutely fantastic, but maybe due for a little regression. How about Aaron Jones in Green Bay? Rumors have maybe a cap casualty coming up. Uh, Some folks expecting maybe, uh, I don't know, maybe a step back this year. What are your thoughts about Aaron Jones and the Green Bay Packers moving forward? Yeah, I like Aaron Jones. Aaron Jones is a tremendous football player, as he showed last year, scoring a ton of touchdowns. I like this offense as well. So there are several good things that are still in Aaron Jones's favor. The issue I have with him is that there are changes on the offensive line, and Aaron Jones, his entire career in Green Bay, has been running behind one of the best offensive lines in all of football. But now Brian Bulaga, their right tackle, is gone. He assigned it with the with the Los Angeles Chargers. They did sign Ricky Wagner from the Lions to replace him, but the Lions let Wagner go for a reason. That is a downgrade from Bulaga to Ricky Wagner. We should expect Aaron Jones's efficiency due to decline as a result. But on top of that, they've already said that he's not going to be a bell cow next year. They have said they want to keep him fresh throughout the entire season, as they did last year, and mix in Jamal Williams. This is not a bad strategy by the Packers. You know, Jamal Williams was good enough last year to justify getting usage, and we've seen how much running backs can wear down in the NFL. So if you are a NFL team, it is in your best interest to potentially mix in guys, keep guys fresh. So I don't think the Packers are dumb for what they're doing, but it definitely does not help Aaron Jones from a fantasy perspective. He was due for regression in 2020 regardless because he scored so many touchdowns last year. That was not going to sustain in 2020. But now you take away Brian Bulaga, give them a downgrade at right tackle, and you bake in that regression And things are probably not going to play out too well for Aaron Jones. Now, Jones is still a very good fantasy piece because he is tied to Aaron Rodgers. He himself is quite good, and the rest of that offensive line is still good as well. There are still a lot of great things working in Aaron Jones' favor, 
But given the year is coming off of, given that we should expect him to come back to Earth a bit next year, I think this is a good time to potentially sell him if you own him in Dynasty Leagues. And uh, from a redraft perspective, take a long look at the other guys going around him and see what the expectations for them should be because Aaron Jones potentially due to take a step back in 2020. Yeah, I agree. You know, load management, not just in the NBA, but certainly uh, might be playing a role with some of these running backs, especially Aaron Jones this year. Might be a little regression in the future. So uh, you're right. Another team that will be very interesting to see what they do in the draft in the running back position. So, Jim, all in all, it has been an absolute crazy opening to the NFL free agency period. And you know and I know still plenty of big names on the board yet. Do you see this slowing down at all? Oh, yeah. The NFL never sleeps. Uh, We've got a lot of quarterbacks could be on the move. And quarterbacks are the drivers of everything in fantasy football uh, with the efficiency they bring to the table. So we're going to have plenty of more discussion about season-long winners and losers as we progress through this all season. But uh, it's it's hard to hard to tell how things will shake because this league has been uh, definitely interesting the past couple of weeks. It certainly has. And as usual, we've got you covered here on the FanDuel Hurry Up. And as these deals... Come in, we'll go ahead and break them down for you. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Last season on the Choosing Sides F1 podcast, we established unequivocally that F1 is the pinnacle of motorsports. Lily Herman, my co-host in season one, Help me choose a team, a driver, and then... Well, we sent you on your jolly way. Yeah. Psh. I'm Tony Cam Brown, a tech, culture, and F1 commentator. I'm Michael Costa, comedian, Daily Show correspondent. And we're back with season two, because as it turns out, F1's newest fan is still a little... Dazed and confused. Join us for season two of Choosing Sides F1 as we dive deeper into the rabbit hole of the pinnacle of motorsports. Who makes money here? What's CFD? How do you manage a tire? You, get back in there. What are the rumors? What's the gossip? But you also know that someone's listening to your radio. Uh, I'm going to pull up a picture of a tea cozy. I want to see what this thing looks like. Are you going to be doing that accent this whole pod? Listen to season two of Choosing Sides F1 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts. Or wherever you get your podcasts. You find it. I'm Davis Miller, host of the new podcast, The Tao of Muhammad Ali. I met Ali back in 1988, and to my great surprise, we became friends. His influence profoundly changed my perspective on family, spirituality, and on the purpose of life itself. I'll tell you that story and also stories of others touched by the champ, including people such as Reverend Al Sharpton and James Buster Douglas. We'll even hear from Muhammad's daughter, Rashida, Well, my dad was, he was Peter Pan. Like he never really grew up. He was very mature when it came down to social issues. He was very in tune. He felt a responsibility to be able to share his connection to millions of people who were in need. In each of these stories, we share lessons. Lessons that have meant a great deal to me and that I hope will be meaningful to you. Listen to The Tao of Muhammad Ali on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Julian Edelman from Games With Names, and we're on a search to find the greatest games of all time. 
I'm talking Hall of Famers, MVPs, gold medalists. I absolutely hate the Colts, bro. This game, I swear, led to the deflate gate. Hey guys, this ball's a little flat. <laughs> Ever wonder what a locker room feels like at a halftime of a Super Bowl? Julian walking around, I'm pretty sure he had his shirt off for reasons I'm not sure. He was saying, gotta believe. Oh, you gotta believe. From 18-1 with Eli. You call him Bill just a cheater? Is that what you're I'm saying right saying now? He's, you... he's looking for an advantage. The 2004 ALCS with Big Poppy. The Red Sox in 2004 bounced back after the 3-0. We never win a chicken dinner, homie. The immaculate reception with Terry Bradshaw. Fired the ball. I hear the roar of the crowd. I never thought he caught the ball, but he did. We're going to dive deep into the most iconic games with the most iconic people. New episodes dropping weekly. Listen to Games with Names on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, welcome in. It's another edition of FanDuel Hurry Up. I'm Joe Ranieri, joined alongside uh, Jim Sonis here of Number Fire as we take a look here of the free agency winners. And uh, Lord knows there have been a few of them here, uh, Jim. It's been a very interesting, hey, uh, let's open up for business and let's go completely crazy in the NFL. As it is every single year, Joe, it's definitely been an interesting time for sure. A lot of offensive linemen getting paid, some big trades already, which I think is super interesting too. So, you know, we've got a sports void right now. The NFL is filling that pretty well, and it's nice to have a little bit of downtime to actually focus on the NFL here. So I think that this actually came at a pretty solid time, and I'm guessing that the, the players' pocketbooks would agree with that as well. I can guarantee you, yes, their pocketbooks are happy. So let's dive into a couple of players here. Right off the bat, some winners. I'll start with uh, Kyler Murray going into his second year with the Arizona Cardinals. I believe he should be celebrating the addition, the latest addition to the Cardinals team. Should he not? as a rookie, was throwing footballs to 36-year-old Larry Fitzgerald and a banged-up Christian Kirk. Christian Kirk is a really good wide receiver, but that ankle injury was not fully healed the entire year. Now, who gets to throw to Christian Kirk fully healthy and DeAndre freaking Hoppins. That is a pretty major upgrade here for this wide receiver corpse, and it also helps that Kyler Murray did run quite a bit last year. Now, you look back to last year, the Cardinals weren't quite as pass-happy as you would have thought, given that they were an air raid offense. They weren't quite as fast as they were, at least at the beginning of the year. But now they should be more efficient because DeAndre Hopkins will be in town. That can allow Cliff Kingsbury to run his offense and be fully realized within this air raid scheme. That is a great thing for Kyler Murray if it leads to additional volume and additional efficiency as well. All that bodes well for him for this year. So you give him DeAndre Hopkins, that increases his efficiency. There could be additional volume as well. If they feel more confident in Kyler Murray as a passer, those are tremendous things for him for fantasy football. The only downside with Kyler Murray is that he was already pretty expensive. He was the quarterback six on fantasy football calculator based on early drafts so far going in about the sixth round. And that's a pretty high cost. But I think that with DeAndre Hopkins now in town, it further legitimizes that cost for Kyler Murray. So if you are someone who does, you know, spend a high draft pick on quarterbacks, Kyler Murray is worth that selection right now with this addition of DeAndre Hopkins. They also could add more via the draft. They still have the eighth overall pick there, whether it be an offensive lineman or another wide receiver at that point. So the situation for Murray is better, and it could get even more better as we advance further along in the offseason. So Kyler Murray, a big winner, and really legitimizing himself as a top 
six selection at quarterback for 2020. Yeah, Jim, it should be just fine as long as, you know, Cliff Kingsbury doesn't uh, doesn't screw it up for everybody else. Uh, all that talent, uh, get it done, Cliff, get it done. All right, let's head over to the Buffalo Bills, shall we? Josh Allen, he got himself a new toy as well over this free agency period. Yeah, he certainly did, and it's a good one. It's Stephon Diggs, and that's definitely a big addition for Josh Allen. Now, Based on what we've seen from Josh Allen each of the first two years in the league, he's exciting, he's fun to watch, but you can still have questions about his talent. His efficiency has not been good. Last year, he still ranked 27th in per dropback efficiency based on number fires metrics. And efficiency is huge for quarterbacks in fantasy football. And I had concerns about whether or not he'd be able to duplicate what he did in fantasy for this year, despite the presence of his rushing. But that was while throwing to John Brown and Cole Beasley. Now you give him John Brown and Stephon Diggs as his top two targets, and even if Josh Allen were the exact same quarterback next year as he was last year, his situation is now so much better that you would still expect his fantasy production and his production overall to tick up. So maybe Josh Allen regresses a bit from where he was last year. That's totally possible. He can still sustain his fantasy numbers just because the situation is better with Stephon Diggs. Quarterback output is wholly dependent on the situation around them. We saw that with Jared Goff earlier in his career, and I'm not comparing Josh Allen to Jared Goff because the two are very different as prospects coming out, but Jared Goff showed the value of good surrounding talent and Josh Allen's surrounding talent is better now than it was in the past. He is currently quarterback 11 on Fantasy Football Calculator. I think that is fully fine. I would expect his cost to go up with this addition to Stephon Diggs, but I think that's okay. He gives a lot of rushing juice. His efficiency may now be better than it was before. And there's, there's always that upside, too, that maybe he does wind up getting a little bit better. So I think the floor for Josh Allen is really good. The ceiling is getting better here with Stephon Diggs. So Josh Allen, already someone I was okay taking where he was going. But I think that even as the cost goes up, he's still worth it with Stephon Diggs now in town. You know, I can't wait to see what happens the, uh, the first time that he sees a wide open Stephon Diggs and then all of a sudden runs for 15 yards instead of throwing it to him. I can't wait to see what that looks like. But listen, the bottom line is weapons are important in the National Football League. And the Houston Texans next up got themselves a new weapon in a running back. And that running back would be David Johnson. Yeah, David Johnson, his situation changed about as radically as it possibly could for fantasy in the course of a couple of hours. Early Monday, they tagged Kenyon Drake, the Arizona Cardinals did, meaning he would still be around. David Johnson's fantasy value at that point was pretty much non-existent. Then he gets traded to the Houston Texans. Lamar Miller and Carlos Hyde are both free agents, and suddenly he's on a team that has a lot of opportunity up for grabs. So David Johnson goes from being pretty much dead in the water for fantasy to being a pretty legitimate fantasy football asset, and I would expect to be the main running back on this Houston Texans team. Now, watching David Johnson last year was admittedly quite painful. He did not look very good. There is a reason they traded for Kenyon Drake, but we have to remember that injuries played a big role in that because before David Johnson's back injury, which happened before his ankle injury, he was kind of playing okay. He had a 42% rushing success rate through the first five games. That's roughly league average based on number fires metrics. And it fell to 30% after that back injury and got even worse once he had the ankle injury. So if we get a fully healthy David Johnson on this Texans team, 
I would expect the volume to be there. We can still have concerns around David Johnson's talent because he is entering, I believe, his age 29 season, so he's not a spring chicken anymore. And this Texans offense will take a step back with no DeAndre Hopkins in town. But opportunity tops everything in fantasy football. And on this new team, I would expect David Johnson to get a lot of volume. So it's a really good situation for David Johnson. I can't think of a way this would have played out better for him. That Texans offensive line played a lot better last year than it has in years past. Johnson, now healthy, has Deshaun Watson there. I think things are looking up for him, even though we could be pessimistic about this Texans team on the whole. I do think, too, Jim, that I don't think we have the whole story. I know a lot of people up in arms here, but I do believe uh, when it's all said and done, there was something else going on than just, hey, you know what? It'd be great if we swapped uh, Hopkins for John. Like, no, there's I, I know a lot of people, Bill O'Brien, will look at him and go, ooh, Bill, but I tend to believe there is going to be something else there uh, that we did not know about. But we do have another running back, of course, Uh, that love that move for David Johnson, again with the Arizona Cardinals. And this time we're looking at Kenyon Drake, who's got to be ecstatic about this opportunity as well. Absolutely, because not only did he show up last year, but now he actually gets a better situation because with DeAndre Hopkins in town, we can expect this Cardinals offense to improve. And what that does is it increases the touchdown expectation for everybody in this offense. And that does include Kenyon Drake, who had a tremendous role down the stretch last year for the Cardinals. He averaged 15.4 rushes and 4.4 targets per game after joining Arizona last year. And now I would not expect those numbers to go up, even though David Johnson is now down, now gone and it's just Chase Edmonds there besides Kenyon Drake, because Kenyon Drake, even in Alabama and in his early days with the, with the Dolphins, was usually used as a change of pace type back. I'm not expecting to be a 20 carry, eight target type guy. Most people aren't, but I would not expect that workload to go up. But if we assume that Kenyon Drake's workload remains the same, gets about 15 carries and five targets per game, that's a very legitimate workload for a running back in fantasy football. That offensive line in Arizona played pretty well from a run-blocking perspective last year. They could beef that up even more in the draft as well with that eighth overall pick. And now they add DeAndre Hopkins into the mix. An additional year of Kyler Murray. This is all really good. I think this is all great for Kenyon Drake. Extra volume, the volume shored up with David Johnson being gone. Potentially extra touchdowns for the offense. He was a sixth-round pick in redraft before this trade. I would expect that to go up. But even with that being the case, he is still a player on which you want to buy high because the situation, as things stand right now, looks tremendous for fantasy in 2020. You know, sometimes it's just a matter of being in the right place at the right time. It wasn't right for him in Miami, uh, but it seems to be heading in uh, the right direction there, certainly with Arizona. Going to be a lot of fun to see the kind of year that he has. Uh, and we do, of course, have uh, there's some other collateral damage well maybe not but how about will fuller he now all of a sudden heads into the spotlight and it's uh, it's funny jim i almost pulled a hamstring just saying his name but uh, will fuller and the houston texans gonna be a number one now is he not yeah, at least when he's out there, which, you know, like you said, may not be all that often. But when Will Fuller is healthy, he's in a pretty good position. It's always a good thing for a wide receiver in fantasy when a guy with the usage of DeAndre Hopkins leads town, leaves town. Because those targets have to go somewhere. 
And a lot of them could go Will Fuller's direction, given how good he has been when he has been on the field in the NFL. Last year in the games that Will Fuller played, he had 23% of the Texans' total targets and 37% of their targets at least 16 yards downfield. Those are really good numbers to begin with. But with Hopkins leaving town, that vacates 29% of their overall targets and 29% of their deep targets in the games that Will Fuller played. That's a lot of opportunity. Now, maybe not all that goes to Will Fuller, but what could happen is he could get some more underneath targets, some more high leverage, uh, some more, I should say, some more high percentage targets, which would increase his floor. Will Fuller has always been a high ceiling guy for fantasy because he can get big plays. He can score touchdowns. The ceiling has never been a question. The floor has. But now, if he gets additional targets and additional safer, safer targets with DeAndre Hopkins out of town, that's going to amp up his floor. So from a fantasy perspective, what we have is basically a safer version of Will Fuller than we had in the past when he is healthy. That ceiling will still be very good. But if the floor gets better, he becomes a lot more valuable of a fantasy commodity because you know what to expect on a week-by-week basis. Will Fuller, I think that the injuries are a legitimate concern but those injuries will also help keep the cost tied to him in fantasy intact. I don't think we're going to see a major, major spike in the draft cost because people are so scared of the injuries. That's good for me. If Will Fuller gets hurt, I'm not getting a zero out of my wide receiver slot. I can use someone else in there. So I don't think it's as big of a negative to draft a, an injury risk like him, knowing that I can use at least a replacement level guy to fill in that production. I want that Will Fuller production we'll get when he's out there. I think it's super valuable. And I think it could go up this year. So Will Fuller, yeah, it's scary. It is risky, but I think it's worth it with all the volume DeAndre Hopkins has left on the table. And there's just something about having that guy that can take the top off a secondary to have him lining up healthy on the outside. The ultimate home run hitter for uh, for any team offensively. Uh, he, he stays healthy, always somebody that you've got to be very well aware of where they are on the field. Defenses, yeah, a lot of headaches, a lot of sweating overnight going on with Will Fuller, which brings us, of course, to uh, to one of our final winners here of free agency. How about Adam Thielen now picking up the pieces left by Stefan Diggs, who is on his way to the Buffalo Bills and Josh Allen? What do you think about uh, Adam Thielen this year and the Minnesota Vikings? Yeah, it's the exact same thought process we had with Will Fuller, except outside of 2019, not as many injuries for Adam Thielen as with Will Fuller. Now, I would expect the offensive efficiency to decline for both the Texans and for the Vikings, given that they did lose star wide receivers. But that's not as big of a concern for these guys as it is for their quarterbacks and Deshaun Watson and Kirk Cousins. So Adam Thielen figures to move into really good volume. And when Thielen was healthy last year, that volume was there as well. Before his injury, Thielen had 26% of the Vikings' overall targets and 52% of their deep targets. If we had gotten that for the full season, Adam Thielen would have been among the best fantasy wide receivers in the entire league because that is tremendous volume to get. He also plays indoors, which I love. And now there's no more Stephon Diggs. Their depth chart behind Adam Thielen is basically the shining with the, the elevator doors opening. It is not good outside of Kyle Rudolph and Irv Smith at tight end. They're going to have to throw the ball somewhere. And I'd expect a lot of those targets to go to Adam Thielen. Now, I would expect the Vikings to add a wide receiver through the draft. They have picks 22 and 25. There will be good wide receivers there. They're going to add to this room, but Thielen is a known commodity. He's been with Kirk Cousins now for two years. He's developed a, rep a rapport with him, and the Vikings can build around this guy as a wide receiver. Adam Thielen is currently a fourth-round pick in fantasy for next year. I am very okay paying that. I would expect his cost to go up as well, but as with Kenyon Drake, 
that's okay. There is a reason for that cost to go up. We can still buy into it despite the increased cost. So for both Kenyon Drake and Adam Thielen, I know that I'm going to have to pay more, but I'm okay with that because of what they bring to the table and because of the volume I would expect them to get this upcoming year. Adam Thielen has shown in the past he can be a top-end fantasy wide receiver, and I would not be surprised if he does that once again this year. And remember, uh, Minnesota fans, you got a number one draft pick in return for heading out digs. This draft is loaded with wide receivers, so not saying you're going to get a step on digs, but having that number one pick in the asset, of course, will go a long way. Adam Thielen and whoever they draft, in all likelihood, will be just fine. All right, Jim Sonis, number fire, my friend. Thank you so very much for sharing with us. The winner is here of this uh, this early free agency in the NFL. Somebody that has top prospect pedigree. We talked before with Max Fried about walks. It's the same for Dylan Cease. We saw Lucas Giolito a year ago make this jump. Hasn't really happened with Ronaldo Lopez, but maybe Dylan Cease can do it along with his teammate, Michael Kopech. Yeah, you listed a lot of White Sox pitcher names there, Greg, and I think that's actually... <laughs> Oh, that's a good thing. No, that's a good thing. I agree with that because we've got Yasmani Grandal there this year. And I think that that's, I mean, it's been talked up a good amount how Grandal is a really good framer, but that actually is a legitimately good thing to have for such a young staff that occasionally does struggle with walks. So that 10% walk rate last year for Dylan Cease, if that comes down, there are a lot of good things in his profile. He made 14 starts in the big leagues last year with a 24% strikeout rate and a 46% ground ball rate. And it's a kind of a small sample to look at ground ball rate, but that ground ball rate was also high throughout the minors too. So I think that is a skill that Dylan Cease has. The strikeout's not that bad at 25%, and I definitely think that's intriguing. He had more strikeouts when he was down in double A. So I think the strikeout upside is there. And if, and if Yasmani Grandal can get these guys a couple extra strikes... That could make a pretty big difference for everyone on this team. So even though Ronaldo Lopez, as you mentioned, hasn't put it all together, I am okay taking stabs at him. I'm okay with Kopech and his like 115 mile per hour fastball. That's totally cool by me. But Dylan Cease doesn't have the same workload concerns as a guy like Kopech does. He is going later in drafts than him. And I think that he has similar upside. So Dylan Cease, like you said, basically free right now. If you want him, you can get him with your last pick in a draft. And I think I am inclined to do so. There is upside with this entire staff, with Yasmani Grandal being there. Dylan Cease has some of the components you need to be a really good pitcher. And I think once you add that all up, it's pretty easy to fall in love with him. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Last season on the Choosing Sides F1 podcast, we established unequivocally that F1 is the pinnacle of motorsports. Lily Herman, my co-host in season one, helped me choose a team. A driver, and then... Well, we sent you on your jolly way. Yeah, Psh. I'm Tony Cowan brown a tech, culture, and F1 commentator. I'm Michael Costa, comedian, Daily Show correspondent. And we're back with season two, because as it turns out, F1's newest fan is still a little... Dazed and confused. Join us for season two of Choosing Sides F1 as we dive deeper into the rabbit hole of the pinnacle of motorsports. Who makes money here? What's CFD? How do you manage a tire? You, get back in there. What are the rumors? What's the gossip? But you also know that someone's listening to your radio. Uh, I'm going to pull up a picture of a tea cozy. I, I want to see what this thing looks like. Are you going to be doing that accent this whole pod? Listen to season two of Choosing Sides F1 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts. Or wherever you get your podcast. You find it. I'm Julian Edelman from Games With Names, and we're on a search to find the greatest games of all time. 
I'm talking Hall of Famers, MVPs, gold medalists. I absolutely hate the Colts, bro. This game, I swear, led to the deflate gate. Hey guys, this ball's a little flat. <laughs> Ever wonder what a locker room feels like at a halftime of a Super Bowl? Julian walking around, I'm pretty sure he had his shirt off for reasons I'm not sure. He was saying, gotta believe. Oh, you gotta believe. From 18-1 with Eli. Are you calling Bill just a cheater? Is that what you're I'm saying right saying now? He's, he's looking for an advantage. The 2004 ALCS with Big Pop. They ran socks in 2004, bounced back after the 3-0. We never win a chicken dinner, homie. The immaculate reception with Terry Bradshaw. Fired the ball. I hear the roar of the crowd. I never thought he caught the ball, but he did. We're going to dive deep into the most iconic games with the most iconic people. New episodes dropping weekly. Listen to Games with Names on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Davis Miller, host of the new podcast, The Tao of Muhammad Ali. I met Ali back in 1988, and to my great surprise, we became friends. His influence profoundly changed my perspective on family, spirituality, and on the purpose of life itself. I'll tell you that story and also stories of others touched by the champ, including people such as Reverend Al Sharpton, and James Buster Douglas. We'll even hear from Muhammad's daughter, Rashida. Well, my dad was, he was Peter Pan. Like he never really grew up. He was very mature when it came down to social issues. He was very in tune. He felt a responsibility to be able to share his connection to millions of people who were in need. In each of these stories, we share lessons, lessons that have meant a great deal to me and that I hope will be meaningful to you. Listen to The Tao of Muhammad Ali on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Julian Edelman from Games with Names, and we're on a search to find the greatest games of all time with the players and coaches who lived in them. Ever wonder what a locker room feels like at a halftime of a Super Bowl? Or what about the the after parties? We're going to dive deep into the most iconic games with the most iconic people. New episodes dropping weekly. Listen to Games with Names on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Davis Miller, host of the new podcast, The Tao of Muhammad Ali. I met Ali in 1988, and surprisingly, we became friends. His influence profoundly changed my perspective on the purpose of life itself. I'll tell you that story, and also stories of others touched by the champ. Listen to The Tao of Muhammad Ali on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. Last season on the Choosing Sides F1 podcast, we established unequivocally that F1 is the pinnacle of motorsports. We did, but honestly, I was left with more questions than answers, Tony. I'm Tony Cameron Brown, a tech, culture, and F1 commentator. And I'm Michael Costa, comedian from The Daily Show. Join us for season two of Choosing Sides F1. Our F1 102, if you will. And get all of the answers. All of them? Listen to Choosing Sides F1 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.